and welcome. This is a podcast of Ukraine World, a website about Ukraine in English. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. One year has passed since Ukrainian comedian Volodymyr Zelensky won the Ukrainian presidential election. What happened during this year in Ukraine's foreign policy and security policy? We try to analyze it with Hanna Shellist a famous Ukrainian international relations and security expert, director of security studies at Foreign Policy Council, Ukrainian prison. Hello, Hanna. Hello, nice to hear you. Thanks so much for joining this podcast. So how would you describe the major major style of uh, foreign policy of President Volodymyr Zelensky? You know, his foreign policy is quite similar to his um, internal domestic policy, and it means that there is absence of the grand strategy, but at the same time, the search of the personal contacts and the uh, tactical uh, uh, winnings, especially those ones that can differ him from the previous president, Poroshenko, uh, or uh, make him very favorable in a uh, media outfit. Is it true that, uh, would you agree with the statement that basically he depends on some political personalities, particular personalities like Andriy Yermak, his head of office? Uh, yes and no. Uh, if we speak about uh, the Russian Federation direction, here definitely we see the involvement of Mr. Yermak ideas. But I would not say that it is only Andriy Yermak, because it is quite a number of people who share. And President himself is sharing the idea of pacifistic, human-centric rapprochement with the Russian Federation as much as possible. So uh, here it's not only Andriy Yermak, but uh, it's just coincidence of uh, his... Uh, Uh, chief of staff and his personal ideas. But at the same time, we see that there are directions where he's searching either for his own position or he is trying to listen to the chorus of different voices around him. So depending who has his ears at the very particular moment, those ideas can come uh, to him and being pronounced later at the different international forums. How would you define these, his key successes on the foreign policy arena and his key failures? You know, Foreign Policy Council Ukrainian Prism each year analyze uh, the foreign policy of Ukraine in 50 directions, both geographical and uh, thematical. And this week we will be presenting uh, these big studies, almost 400 pages, And uh, uh, the results uh, currently that our experts in um, analysis uh, uh, demonstrate that, um, let's say that uh, key failures are the same as uh, um, used to be. It means the complete absence of the attention to the potential um, regions that can be very beneficial for Ukraine, like Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, Central Asia. Um, at the same time, um, certain success we can see within the international organizations, especially the European Union. Uh, but at the same time, it is not bad uh, um, marks as well with the Germany or with the France, where we see the improvement of uh, um, scores. However, sometimes it is uh, uh, very difficult to say, is it successes or failures uh, just of Mr. Zelensky? Uh, because uh, first of all, he really started to implement the foreign policy only in the middle of the year. Yep, so his official inauguration was in the end of May, and after this he needed some time for appointment of the Minister of Foreign Affairs and for his personal first steps. 
So he had only six months. And also we perfectly understand that in foreign policy, nothing is done in uh, one day. Usually, except of the crisis situation, it is the long-term negotiations, processes. And uh, in uh, several of our key partners, we also had elections during this year. So 2019 was quite a hectic, both because of the domestic policies and domestic processes uh, um, in Ukraine to uh, elections, but uh, also because some of our key partners were not ready to the same speed of relations because of the uh, uh, domestic crisis in their own countries. I'm sure that the American direction is one of the key and uh, we, we, we was witnessing, we were witnessing a, a very dramatic uh, development around Zelensky, meaning the, uh, an attempt uh, of impeachment in the US of, uh, of President Trump. Uh, so Ukraine was basically dragged into U- United States internal politics. How do you estimate, how do you evaluate the behavior of President Zelensky uh, in this challenge? You know, when we evaluate uh, one or another direction of the foreign policy, we usually do it by five indicators. It is political interest of the main actors in Ukraine. It is strategic vision of this direction, activities, results. But also one very important indicator, it is uh, interinstitutional cooperation, meaning how different Ukrainian uh, powerful institutions like Parliament, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Cabinet of Ministers, Administration of the President are coordinating among each other. So the United States became a perfect example how the lack of the institutional cooperation can spoil the uh, uh, overall scoring and overall success in uh, uh, one direction. We had high political interest uh, towards the United States. We heard it in many statements from the president, what he wants, how he wants, uh, uh, how it is expected. We had very active contacts at different levels. We had not bad results because we received javelin um, island uh, boards uh, for Navy, a lot of of the uh, military support. But at the same time, uh, two reasons definitely spoiled uh, the whole uh, good result. First of all, it's what you said, the the fact that Ukraine appeared to be a hostage of the domestic... I would not say confrontation, but the competition for power, because the electional cycle already started. Um, at the, uh, on the other hand, it is the problem is that uh, President Zelensky and his team uh, didn't trust uh, the diplomats. They didn't trust the MFA and the classical ch- diplomatic channels. They preferred their informal contacts. And because of this, because of uh, uh, some dubious informal contacts, uh, uh, because of the lack of experience, let's be honest, that they initiated, uh, we received the situation when they uh, couldn't prevent uh, that scandal and that crisis where Ukraine um, being involved uh, because of the uh, conversation between President Zelensky and President Trump. And uh, uh, because MFA was not involved and couldn't advise uh, properly in this situation, uh, definitely this lack of uh, interagency communication and cooperation in Ukraine significantly influenced the uh, outcomes of uh, summer and uh, early autumn uh, uh, events in the United States. Some Ukrainian media and experts blame Zelensky and basically his entourage, uh, primarily Yermak, for not being distant enough for, from both both sides, as they claimed. 
and for being more loyal or close to Trump administration, which can put Ukraine under risk if, for example, Democrats win the upcoming American presidential election. Do you agree with this criticism? Uh, you know, this criticism is coming um, from the statements that we uh, heard uh, on telephone conversation, President Zelensky and President Trump. However, if we analyze seriously and uh, objectively this situation, it is really important to understand whether it is the personal support of Republicans and President Trump on behalf of President Zelensky, uh, or it is just the lack of experience and understanding of the U.S. politics. Because all those conversations happened in summer, where he was just newly elected president. He didn't have foreign policy advisors who really uh, strategically understand what is mean foreign policy and who could navigate President Zelensky in all these uh, waves and storms of foreign policy. But at the same time, President Trump is just more understandable uh, to uh, President Zelensky by his personal style, maybe, uh, by his power at that time. So his flattering with uh, President Trump and as a result with Republicans is not coming because of the idea to support one or another political parties, but more because of his personal attitudes towards President Trump. Let me remind our listeners that you're listening to a podcast of Ukraine World. During the current time, we move to online recordings. Uh, therefore, uh, it makes our recordings more flexible. But let me now uh, ask Hanna, I remind that we are talking with Hanna Shalist, Ukrainian foreign policy expert and director of security studies of foreign, porn, uh, foreign policy council Ukrainian prison. Let me move to Russia, to another big actor and ag- aggressor country in Ukrainian case. How do you estimate the Russian vector of Zelensky's foreign policy? That is probably the most uh, difficult uh, vector to be analyzed. Uh, and uh, here definitely experts are um, discussing and disputing about the effectiveness of the policy that Mr. Zelensky uh, chose. Uh, first of all, he definitely succeeded in um, activization of the negotiations in the Normandy 4 format. Uh, But at the same time, we need to ask uh, what price he paid for this. Because definitely during autumn 2019, we witnessed that he was ready for a lot of compromises and a lot of steps uh, um, to be done, sometimes very risky for the national security of Ukraine, just to make this physical meeting of four leaders of the states possible. The second, that he definitely changed his tactic, uh, that he put security, uh, military security, on the second stage and uh, uh, brought forward uh, the idea of prisoners exchange and taking Ukrainian hostages by any price uh, from the territory of the uncontrolled uh, territories or uh, from the Russian Federation. And here, uh, a lot of experts are asking that if he is going for such compromises, where is uh, uh, his red line? What is the real, uh, or better say, how far he is going uh, to go with these compromises? And also, sometimes, making these tactical small steps, uh, he is not calculating the strategic risks. And we had two good examples of uh, how it worked 
on the edge of risk. First, it was the release of Ukrainian Navy um, sailors that were uh, captured by Russian uh, forces, illegally captured in November 2018. The uh, Hamburg International Tribunal uh, ordered them to be released without any conditions back in May 2019, and by the end of June, they should be released. However, Russian uh, Federation violated this order of the International Tribunal and started negotiations with the Ukrainian sides that they should be part of the exchange. And uh, that is definitely, on one hand, all Ukrainian citizens would like the hostages and especially the military to be returned back. But at the same time, if we allow the Russian Federation to uh, violate decisions of the international courts, uh, it means that we also undermine the legitimacy of these decisions. And the second case was, uh, with uh, uh, again, with the exchange, the latest exchange when uh, uh, Mr. Tsemakh uh, was exchanged and he was one of the uh, witnesses for the uh, Hague Tribunal on MH17 airplane. And uh, we exchanged uh, him uh, not even notifying the Netherlands about this fact. And I know that it's quite a, had a shadow to the relations with the Netherlands who really supported us uh, in the case of that uh, tragic accident investigation and current uh, court procedures. So uh, you see, like, uh, he's trying to do his best in the Russian direction. He is really searching for peace. But um, as we know that the security situation is not changing, the Russian Federation behavior is not changing, we always need to uh, evaluate the risks and to understand uh, um, that uh, this desire for peace uh, should take into account all risks possible, so not to appear in one uh, year even in the more dangerous situation. Do you think that Russian position with regard to Donbass war has changed? We have seen, for example, changes of Mr. Surkov and Mr. Kozak, and uh, there are many comments that uh, Russia will try to implement Transnistrian scenario, and we have seen the steps to that uh, with Russia trying to uh, basically to show that it is only an observer in the conflict, not a side of the conflict, which is probably uh, the way how Transnistrian settlement went uh, under Cossack uh, influence in, in the years 2000. What do you think? Uh, in general, Russia is not changing their strategy towards Donbass. Uh, like the grand uh, strategy is still the same, and we can see it by many other actions happening. However, definitely we see that in the crisis situation, they are trying at least to freeze the situation and to introduce, as you said, the Transnistrian scenario. The question is that it is not new as well. Uh, we uh, witnessed uh, uh, during these six years several times when Russian Federation tried to introduce at least the elements of the peace settlement or of the uh, negotiation formats that uh, uh, we've seen within all these years in um, uh, Transnistria. And uh, uh, here is the question is that definitely with Mr. Korzak's uh, um, bigger role in the peace process that we have now, uh, he will be uh, more influential with his ideas. And it's uh, uh, not only this consultation council that recently been introduced, but in general, it is the long-term play. Mr. Korzak is well-known with the long-term play, while Ukrainian uh, side... Um, 
made in Zelensky and your mug are more for the short sprinter uh, probably decisions and that can bring the new collisions uh, in their um, negotiations. You mentioned the Consultation Council. It's very interesting that we remind our listeners the, the history of it is basically an, an idea uh, discussed uh, in the Minsk Trilateral Contact Group to make a kind of a council in which uh, the representatives uh, of Donbass will talk to each other. That was initial idea of Mr. Yermak, which was voiced in the late 2019. But, uh, but what we've seen, it turned into a kind of a council where Ukraine is talking to representatives, so-called representatives of so-called non-recognized republics. And it voiced lots of criticism in Ukraine. It also it also pushed for uh, protests, for solitary protests. We see an initiative spring on granite uh, near the office of president. Now, what's happening around this idea? And do you think that it is indeed one of the tactics of Russians to uh, make, make Ukraine and Donetsk and Luhansk talk to each other and make Moscow just an observer? Uh, definitely, that was the main idea of the Russian Federation from the very beginning, to arrange the direct talks uh, uh, between uh, uh, Ukrainian government and un- representatives of the uncontrolled territories. And that what uh, for the last five years Ukraine uh, has been avoiding as much as possible. And these consultation council, uh, the main problem of it probably that uh, within the last, I don't know how many, five months, we hear this different variations of it each time. Uh, the event that you uh, just recalled, the London conference that we had together with the Chatham House in December, definitely Mr. Yermak said that uh, it is bad that uncontrolled territories are represented only by those who are there, meaning the terroristic organizations, but we need IDPs uh, uh, also to, spoke, uh, um, to, to speak about the events and uh, to raise their voices. I, uh, now in consultation council at that paper that we saw, uh, they started to speak that uh, uncontrolled territories will be presented by those who are living at the uncontrolled territories, but were not involved uh, with the authorities. Now, very difficult to understand how you are going to uh, really choose these people or uh, to arrange security of these people as soon as they are not representing or what obligations they can have uh, uh, afterwards. So uh, it seems like uh, Russian Federation is trying to institutionalize any kind of the dialogue of Ukraine with uncontrolled territories. And uh, by institutionalizing with uh, decision power or without a decision power, uh, it will be possible for them later the international forums to speak that uh, again that it is the uh, domestic internal conflict of Ukraine that Russia is just supporter, mediator, observer, you name it. But um, to avoid responsibility, which is uh, um, under them, according to the decisions of the trilateral contact group or the Minsk groups and so on. Do you think that coronavirus pandemic will slow down all this process and will influence Donbass war settlement in, in any other way? 
Theoretically, yes, it can be because we perfectly understand that all sides are busy with the current uh, domestic situation. But at the same time, we see that the Russian Federation started to use these. So the sides and the international community should not forget about um, uh, Donbass and what is happening there. Because what we already saw that Russian Federation started to speak to the international community, including at the level of the United Nations, that the sanctions should be taken uh, lifted. Uh, because uh, of the difficult economic, uh, social situation, and so on and so on. Nobody, especially at the public level, are not thinking that the sanctions against the Russian Federation are predominantly against their oil industry, their uh, military industry, and uh, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, banking and financial uh, spheres. So definitely it doesn't influence the uh, humanitarian situation. It doesn't influence the uh, procurements in the sphere of uh, medical supplies or um, pharmaceutical uh, supplies. Uh, and also they're trying to uh, add themselves in the same basket as Iran or North Korea, who are in the much more difficult humanitarian, social, economic situation than the Russia Federation. So uh, uh, we should not forget that the Russian Federation uh, will use any uh, possibilities, any windows to leave the sanctions against them, to uh, easier international pressure against them, and to demonstrate to the international community that they depend on them, that they need the Russian Federation. And in this case, when countries are much more busy with the domestic situation with the coronavirus, it will be much more easier to do for them because um, like nobody will really analyze, think about this. And uh, if Russia plays well and Ukraine is hesitating uh, with explaining to our partners why it shouldn't be done and to the general public as well, uh, Russia can gain some benefits from this crisis. But coming back to the settlement itself, there was a phrase of Zelensky that he will try to basically reach this goal during one uh, one year. If it doesn't happen, if it, uh, the goal is doesn't reached, then uh, probably there will be plan B or then we'll probably try to have another tactics of frozen conflict. Uh, do you think we are, we are approaching this second scenario? Uh, you know, there are uh, this statement is the perfect um, uh, example of uh, his foreign policy uh, in general. First of all, it is the uh, uh, desire of the quick steps and quick successes. And as we know, in peace and conflict, there are uh, no quick successes or quick steps. Uh, only for the ceasefire, maybe, but for the long-lasting, sustainable peace, uh, you need to build a long-term strategy and to understand your uh, actions for many years. So uh, that is question number one. The question number two is definitely demonstrating that he is not interested in the security situation in the East that much. That is not the topic that is up to his uh, heart. He would like to deal with the completely different uh, spheres and topics. Uh, he doesn't like crises. So for him, uh, uh, it's either uh, quick decisions uh, or uh, give him reason to forget or at least to postpone the decision of the situation that we have, the conflict that uh, exists. Uh, and in this case, to say that we tried, they didn't want, uh, so now we are freezing, we are building the wall, we are doing any other uh, things. 
but forgetting about the uh, Donbass for several years and concentrating all our efforts uh, at reforms inside of the country. This is Hanna Shalas, Director of Security Studies of Foreign Policy Council Ukrainian PRISM. You're listening to a Ukraine World podcast. Let me come to a different topic, to Europe, uh, one of the key partners of, of Ukraine, the European Union. Um, there, are, there are statements of uh, propaganda, disinformation, or the information operations, how would you name it, Russian or sometimes Ukrainian internal, who are saying that basically Ukraine should forget about EU integration because Europe will close its borders, it will not open its borders, Schengen area will die, etc., um, etc. Et what do you think? What will happen indeed? Uh, definitely nobody could predict the crisis of the same scale as the um, current. Uh, and uh, probably the European Union also learns some lessons and uh, changing and transforming as maybe a lot of in the international relations. However, we need to understand that the European integration uh, for Ukraine is not just the fact of joining, formal joining uh, of the Union. It is uh, uh, much more belonging to the European family, to the European values, to the European principles, standards and cooperation. And here it doesn't mean how much European Union would change um, itself, uh, but it is the question how much Ukraine uh, will be adequate and ready to be uh, together. And it seems to me that now it is the best way to demonstrate that Ukraine is part of this big U. Uh, family uh, with uh, assisting where we can to the European countries, like we send uh, some humanitarian support to Italy, by exchanging knowledge, uh, by sharing uh, and uh, cooperating on uh, uh, evacuation of the citizens. So as much as we are doing it with the different European countries, we also demonstrate to them that we are part of this big uh, uh, family. The same is happening with other Eastern European countries, Eastern and partnership countries, and we see that now European Union is giving more attention and financial support to six countries of the region. And that is extremely important because uh, now we are speaking more and more about Europe. Europe as a continent, Europe uh, where we share uh, the problems, we share the responsibility, we share the possibilities. And uh, um, these uh, crises can definitely uh, negatively affect uh, the situation. But at the same time, it also can open new uh, opportunities, new topics uh, for cooperation. Uh, Schengen Zone one day would open again because countries went uh, up to eat and work towards it for so many years before it started that uh, just one crisis and short closing of the borders uh, is not something that uh, uh, forever will prevent them uh, from uh, the um, freedom of movement because for so many years people really wanted it and used to it. Uh, it's very difficult to uh, reject the benefits of the good life that people uh, used to have inside of the European Union. Uh, but also it is the same like uh, why Ukraine can or cannot uh, go towards the European Union. Uh, for us, it is the big package of internal reforms. Let's remember the association agreement. It is, first of all, reforms inside of Ukraine about the quality, about the standards, about the procedures. And that is important for Ukraine itself, not only uh, as a process of joining the European Union in the future, but for changing and transforming the country. 
Ukraine tried to also to show that it, it is also able to help. It sent doctors to Italy. It sent uh, lots of uh, things uh, through it, big airplanes, famous airplanes. Mias, do you think it acted responsibly, uh, uh, not as only a receiver of foreign aid, but also a supplier of, foreign, of uh, assistance to other countries? You, you know, for the last few years, we already were talking that Ukraine is not only security uh, consumer, but security provider for Europe. And this crisis is also one of the examples. Probably we don't have money. Yep, that's what we can't uh, help to the uh, European countries, but many of them don't need it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, like, the assistant for Italy, we send the sanitizers. We have very good uh, um, uh, industry of alcoholic production, so we have supplies that we can uh, easily produce and give to other countries. Uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, with the uh, doctors, it is the, the question of the mutual benefit. These doctors are learning how later they will be able to assist um, inside of uh, Ukraine. And airplanes, it is the perfect example that uh, you give. Uh, this uh, airlifting operation exists uh, since 2003, if I'm not mistaken. And just few specialists really talked and knew about it. However, now when you see how... Uh, French or Polish airports are demonstrating um, this uh, big landing of Mria in their airports uh, and how uh, thousands of people would like to watch it uh, leave and this airplane is with the Ukrainian flag. It is the best uh, public diplomacy. It is the best demonstration that Ukraine is part of NATO efforts that... Uh, we are not just equal, but we are also those without whom these operations would not be possible. And uh, it would be really important for Ukraine to speak more about it, because you see all these photos of Ukrainian airplanes delivering, uh, but in most of the tweeters of the NATO officials, you uh, don't see the phrase that it is Ukrainian airplanes. You just see that NATO partner, uh, not even NATO partners, but NATO allies are helping each other or something like this. And and it would be really important us to push these messages that partners can help NATO as much as NATO can help our partners and neighbors. The good things about the online podcasts that we are feeling natural and probably our listeners can hear the noises of surroundings of our environments. That means that we can sit at home and still communicate. I remind that Hanna Shalestin is in Odessa and I'm in Kiev, but we can still have this perfect conversation. Let me come to the last question. You mentioned in the beginning of our interview you that other regions are not that well, not that uh, well represented in Ukraine's foreign policy. Ukraine is still not very good in uh, South e in uh, relations with Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Latin America. Is it really that bad? Uh, it is really that bad, and that is unfortunately. I'm looking now at the scores uh, uh, for the last five years that we have been evaluating the Ukrainian foreign policy. And I would say that all regions of the world, except of Europe, uh, they lost uh, at least one uh, point uh, in uh, Ukrainian attention to them. Uh, Asia-Pacific region became just C. Uh, if you go to Latin America, it is C-minus. 
minus, South Asia C plus, Sub-Saharan Africa C minus, Central Africa D plus, uh, Middle East C plus. So you see how uh, how bad are these um, uh, scores. And the um, reason is that first of all, you almost don't have Ukrainian political interest towards other regions. Uh, that when we um, evaluate the activities, we see either participation in the uh, uh, military and defense uh, uh, exhibitions and fairs, some contracts in this sphere. Uh, we see the trade, especially when we speak about uh, grain or some other uh, products that Ukraine are famous of. And we see negotiations about uh, visa regimes with these countries. We almost don't see the political dialogue, we don't see uh, high-level visits, we don't see the real work. Uh, even the small examples, like Ukraine have the embassy in South Africa responsible for 10 countries of the region. Uh, the embassy in India is responsible for six countries in the region. So huge regions with a huge potential and almost no attention. Now we hope that for the next year or even this year still, it can be some um, changes, transformation, at least in the Asian direction. Because the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mr. Kuleba, just announced that uh, uh, Ukraine should pay more attention to Asia, uh, not only to China, but to the big Asian uh, uh, region, Asia-Pacific, South, uh, East, uh, South Asia, and that Ukraine is going to develop a strategy towards this region. And it will be really important to start at least from there, because now when uh, um, Europe is good, Europe is always a priority for Ukraine, 40% of our export goes there, our political aspirations are there. But what Ukraine can propose to the world is much more in other regions as well. And uh, it is potential markets for our goods, it is potential uh, markets for from where Ukraine can import important things uh, like energy resources to Ukraine. Uh, and it is also extremely important to have relations with these regions when you uh, look at the voting for the Ukrainian resolutions at the United Nations General Assembly. And here, if you see uh, the December voting for two biggest resolutions about Crimea and um, uh, about the human rights, the uh, uh, numbers uh, are not so good and they're becoming worse each year because Russia is working perfectly with the countries of Latin America and Africa. Ukraine is not working with them. And you see that uh, in the best case uh, scenario, these countries are just absent during the voting. And uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, for consolidating international support against the Russian aggression, needs to uh, work with each individual country, with the small islands countries, doesn't matter how big size uh, is, uh, but to have the greater support uh, for its territorial integrity and sovereignty. Let's hope indeed that Ukraine will gradually become a really global country and not a country just uh, having foreign policy with a few big players and that's it. Thanks so much. We had uh, Hanna Schellest, uh, Ukrainian foreign policy expert, director of security studies at Foreign Policy Council Ukrainian Prism. Uh, we talked about uh, Ukrainian foreign policy in the one year that have passed since Volodymyr Zelensky has won Ukrainian presidential elections. This is a podcast of Ukraine World. Thanks a lot, Hanna. Thank you for the invitation.